Do you normally follow me on TikTok? I'm guessing you haven't seen me for a while. That's because I've been battling a crushing shadow ban. And I also have an account warning. As most of you know, I got banned over a year ago and it's been a struggle getting back to where I was. And these shadow bans aren't helping. To try to save this account, I've put my TikTok on private and I'm taking a break from TikTok until November. I've even deleted the app. If you wanna see my usual short form content, then please follow me on Instagram. The link is in the description. Again, follow me on Instagram. Also, so TikTok can't pull an Andrew Tate on me, I'm asking people to subscribe to my email list. If you do, I'll give you some cool stickers free of charge with postage paid. I'll put the link in the description for that too, but you can sign up at list.comeonmanpod.com. That's L-I-S-T dot comeonmanpod.com. Get some cool stickers and here's the show. You're listening to the premier podcast for men who want to not only be better with women, but want to be better men in general. This is the Come On Man podcast. And here's your host, Paul Bauer. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another week of Come On Man. If you haven't done so already, please like, fave, subscribe, hit those notifications. If you are listening on your favorite audio platform of choice, please give us a five-star review and um, actually write out why you like listening to the show. I say this every week. Y'all know that. In fact, if you guys have been paying attention the last three weeks or whatever, I'm still wearing the same shirt. (laughs) And I'm still drinking the same Dr. Pepper and cream soda, zero sugar. It's delicious. It's like the never-ending can. Literally the same can. Literally for for four weeks straight. (laughs) So comment in the description, Dr. Pepper, and I'll know that you're paying attention and it helps boost us in the the algorithm. So on YouTube, comment Dr. Pepper below and and hit that like button. Um, All right, guys. Also, be sure to sign up for the Patreon. There's a lot of you guys that uh, reach out to me on uh, in the DMs and, and TikTok, Instagram, Twitter, on Facebook, like people DM me all the time. They have all sorts of relationship questions. Uh, there's people that want me to do lives. I don't do lives. Um, so if you go to my Patreon, you can sign up and actually talk to me if you want. There's one-on-one options where we can do a Zoom call like this. It's more personable than me answering, you know, your text message in in a uh you know, DM on, on Instagram as well. Like, like we can actually talk, but if you don't want to pay for the one-on-one, I get it. Uh, it's not for everybody. Um, but I do also have, uh, in the, the lower tier, I have, uh, an option for my private discord server. And with that, you get access to, uh, a community of like-minded guys that are there to level up. You can learn from each other. And then you also pretty much have direct text, you know, chat interaction with me to ask questions. And I'm happy to help anytime you want in, in that avenue as well. So you don't have to do the Zoom calls if you don't want. And, um, you know, just <laughs> you can just join the community too, if that's all, if that's all you're looking for. All right. Getting on with the show here, joining me this week is a man that's gone through an epic shitstorm of craziness and catastrophe in his life. Uh, man, like just hearing his story, you guys are going to go, Jesus, you know, most guys would have given up on half the stuff this guy's gone through in his life and he keeps pushing on. And so he's decided to make that his life purpose to share his story and help other guys get through adversity. Um, They call him Mr. Tenacity. Uh, His wife gave him that name. We talk a little bit about that, but his real name is Chad Osinga. Fascinating conversation. Fascinating cat. You'll really like his story. And I'll bring you that conversation right after this. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. 
Hey you, I'm gonna make this real quick. I know you hate ads. If you like this show, if you love this podcast, if you think more men should tune in, then you should consider joining my Patreon. You will be supporting the show and I get to help more men level up their lives. There's now five tiers available starting as low as $5 a month. It's like buying me a beer and each tier gives you better bonuses. Visit patreon.com slash come on man pod to sign up. That's patreon.com slash come on man pod. One last time. That's patreon.com slash come on man pod. Help me help more men level up and be better with women. All right. Joining me this week is a man that has gone through an epic shit storm of craziness and catastrophe in his life. He's pushed through stuff that most men would have thrown in the towel on for uh, on several occasions. They call him Mr. Tenacity. Please welcome Chad Ozinga. What's going on, brother? How are you, man? I'm, I'm blessed to be here. Yeah, me too, man. So tell me, first thing off, uh, who gave you the name Mr. Tenacity? My wife. Okay. Yeah. Or was it like you gave yourself that name? <laughs> no, no, my, my wife did. She was like, dude, you are tenacious. Your new name is Mr. Tenacity, especially after this last motorcycle wreck. And I, I learned how to, I got back on my motorcycle within five months of dying twice. And so mm. they learned how to walk, all that crazy stuff. So, yeah, I have some questions about your, your motorcycle incidents. Uh, but first let's go back to the beginning. You grew up in Virginia, right? And you're yes. still, you still live out there. We were talking off air about that. Yes. Yes. Uh, right now I'm in uh, the Fredericksburg area, but I'm from Stewart Strath, Virginia, which is like a small hit town, you know, kind of country. Kind of country. Okay. What, how, uh, it, I told you I was stationed out in, in Damneck for a while uh, when I was in uh, operation specialist, a school for the Navy. How far away is where, where you are now from, from Virginia beach. That's essentially where Damneck is. Uh, about two hours. It's a two hour drive. Okay. Yeah. Uh, like, uh, right before the bridge that you would go into Virginia beach, it's about an hour and a half. So depending, you know, you know, that bridge, uh, I can't remember the name of it, but it, it's hellacious dude. So yeah, like yeah, yeah. Uh, sometimes it's, it's easy going across. Sometimes you're there for like three hours. So. Got it. Okay. Uh, now when I, when I was stationed there, I had to get, uh, I had to, I got my first tattoo, which is like this yin and yang. Uh, you can't maybe feel able to see it. Yeah, yeah, the inner part, the little baby tattoo. Uh, I got that. I had to go all the way up to Newport News to get it because in Virginia Beach, tattoos were outlawed. Uh, is that is there any kind of stuff like that uh, no. that you're aware of? No, I've never heard of that. That's crazy. Yeah, there, there was there were no shops. There was, I don't know if it was a city or city ordinance or or what, but no tattoo shops in Virginia beach. And I had, my, my buddy and I had to go all the way up to Newport news. That's crazy. No, I, like I have sleeves. So yeah, I'm, I'm all about tattoos. Uh, the, the worst thing that I've had to experience was the dry counties in, in Kentucky when I was stationed there. Uh -huh. That Cause then you had to like go to Louisville or somewhere else just to have a beer. So, you know, that blew, that stuff blows my mind. Cause I, I live uh, about, I don't know, 45 now, let's see, maybe an hour and a half from Utah. And Utah okay. has some, I mean, they're not dry, but they, for the longest time, you could only get three, two beer and stuff yeah. in, in Utah. It's like the, those types of blue laws are, are just annoying to me. Yeah, it's ridiculous. It's weird. So speaking of, uh, alcohol, I guess that's a good segue into, uh, addictions and stuff like that. Now you were raised, your mom was a drug addict. You said, Oh yeah, she was, she was a, I mean, I, for lack of better words, she was a crackhead, man. Uh, she, she really was strung out. I love her, but she, um, uh, she couldn't kick it, man. Like, uh, before I was born, she was really strung out and alcohol. Like, I don't really believe in the gateway situation. I believe that you, your mind, it's a mental situation, right? Like if you're weaker, men, have a weaker mentality, then anything will take you to the stronger thing. Right. And so she was of that nature. Right. And so it started with alcohol and then she started smoking some bud and then next thing you know, she like got into cocaine and then crack. And it, it was just a really bad situation. She ended up actually ODing and, and passing away uh, when I was younger. So, oh, wow. Oh, OK. Yeah, because uh, you said in, in one of your interviews that uh, she had various drug dealers stay at your house. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, while you were growing up. 
Yeah, dude. Uh, I had a whole bunch. I came home one night uh, and I met like this kingpin guy from New York. And within like a month, they had set up shop in our home. I think 14 years old, my house got raided by several different law enforcement agencies and federal law, law enforcement agencies. And because it was such a small town area, it was great market for them. It was untapped when it came to like the crack and the cocaine epidemic, like it, it was really untouched, but it was a blue collar, you know, and, and we had a lot of poverty because we had like the crank and stuff like that, but that was it. You know, they, they kind of were able to blow the doors open on that, that side of the market. We had drugs like kilos in my backyard. I had no clue. I was, you know, I'm, I'm a clueless teenager that they would get to sell drugs for them, mm-hmm. but I didn't really know the, the depth, you know what I mean? Uh, and apparently the drink, the, the whole drug ring was from New York all the way down to Miami. Yeah. Wow. So it wasn't like they were just local, you know, street corner drug dealers that were dating your mom. These guys were like, Hey, we're going to work with you. We're going to set up shop in your mom's house and let, let's, let's cook stuff here. Yeah. They, they didn't necessarily cook it. They, they went and got it. They had their suppliers, uh, you know, and we would do a lot of trips to New York and they would take me with them and they would re up and, and, you know, get their, their supply and we'd bring it back down to, to Virginia and they would, you know, content, they would, all right. So the, the real thing they would do is they would go into hotels. Mm-hmm. And so these cheaper middle of the, the road hotels, they would uh, rent one per night and each night they would cut up the drugs bag them up and they would switch to a new one. They would sell it, cut them up, do it or distribute to a lower distributor and then move to the next one. So they were always on the go. There was never like a a solid location. And then my house was kind of where they would just go to to hang out and cool their heels and hide the the kilos that they had, which I had no clue was happening. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Uh, You know, it's funny that that you're talking about how this was like the perfect place for, for a drug operation because so I, I live out in the middle of nowhere myself in uh, in rural Colorado. And I dated a gal from, there's a town called Fruta about an hour and 20 minutes from me. And she was a, she was a Fruta police officer. And on a date uh, we went on a ride along. Like I went on a ride along with her and it was awesome. And so we, she showed me every drug house in town because the cops knew where all the drugs were and who were, doing it right uh and then one time while we're driving she pointed out a license plate from new york and she goes you see that plate that's from new york and i go yeah interesting she goes i bet you if we followed him he'll go to one of our drug houses and i was like really and she goes oh yeah they're they're uh they come here it's a major hub uh because you know they have guys from new york coming in and then they're running drugs to like out to la and stuff like that but they're doing it all through here it's like a major hub. And I was like, that is fascinating as hell. Yeah, dude, they, man, they, they travel and they, they, they're pretty strategic. Uh, I mean, look, all the dumb ones go to prison really quick, right? Like yeah. if they're moving drugs, they, they've got somebody behind kind of making the plans and making the connections in these areas where they can make, you know, a, a shit ton of money, man. Yeah. Wow. That's fascinating. So, um, so your house was rated at 14. Um, in, in one of your interviews, you said that you were sent off to live with relatives for a while. Yeah. Uh, so my mom went to prison and they, I didn't know at the time, but I was in on probation. And part of the court order was uh, for me to live in Oklahoma with some family. I didn't really know them. And that was an equally bad situation. They were heavily into church and uh, you know, my aunt actually worked at the church there and they were very much holier than thou. When I got there, you know, they, they, they treated me, uh, you know, now granted I'm 14, 14 and a half, 15, something like that. When I finally get to them and they would spank me with a wooden paddle, right. Mm-hmm. Which I'm not against spanking, but they would do it to the point where I'm bleeding, right. Like oh, black wow. and, blue and bleeding. And my uncle, I, when I got there, I was really, I was anemic. I was real skinny uh, because I wasn't eating very well. My mom spent all of her money on drugs. And like I was telling you before, the little bit of money I did get from selling drugs, it was just a couple bucks here and there. They took the bulk of it. So I didn't have a lot of nourishment or good nourishment. Uh, 
And so I was very frail and I, I was thrown down their hallway before over the smallest of things. And then at one point they put me in the corner, like I'm four years old. They made me stand there, eat there and do my schoolwork there. I was there. The I mean, they would put me there multiple times, right? Like every time I would get in trouble, just stick me in this corner. Like I'm a three-year-old and mm. it was really degrading, man. Like, and, and I just, they wouldn't allow me to, to talk to my, my mom. They wouldn't allow me to talk to any family that was back in Virginia. And the few times that they did, they monitored the phone calls. They opened up all of my mail and read it before I got it. Like it was really, really intrusive and I couldn't do it, man. So I ended up running away. Uh, the first time I got uh, busted, I, it, it, I didn't have a plan. Right. Like, so yeah. I just knew I was fed up and, so back then, basketball was my relief. If I was on a basketball court, I felt happy. Like no matter what was going on in my world, that was my happy place. And they allowed me to play for like this rec uh, club. And I got bad marks in school or something. Like I can't really remember. But I did something. And they took it away from me. And that was it. That Because that was my only coping mechanism not to lose my, my shit, right? So I yeah. just... I said, I'm done. I got home from school, grabbed my bike and took off down in, in Broken Arrow, Oklahoma, just going right. I had no, no clue of where or how I was going to make this thing work. Long story short, I ended up, uh, I don't know if you ever heard of Rhema Bible College, but they were actually having an event and he allowed me into the event and I stayed there until like nine or 10 o'clock that night. And then finally wandered around and ended up at a gas station looking at donuts like they were steaks. Like I was so hungry, man. And I didn't know there was a curfew for underage, you know, juveniles in that, that part of Oklahoma. The cash register called the police. And next thing you know, here comes the police and my uncle. So, you know, that didn't turn out well. Yeah. Um, maybe uh, two weeks later, I formulated a new plan, a little more put together. I made a deal with a classmate and was like, hey, man, just take me to the edge of town. You can drop me off wherever. I'll take it from there. And I got to it back then. It was pay phones. I had about three. <laughs> I had enough money for three phone calls. And I called my my grandmother in Virginia. I was like, hey, I need your help. And, you know, the universe works in really mysterious ways because this gas station was like really not used. It was like uh i think maybe two people showed up the entire three or four hours i was there and the second person i just pleaded with i was i came out clean i was like hey i just i need your help i need to get back to virginia and he paid for me to get a cab all the way to the airport we actually sent him the money back so he didn't believe i would but we did and uh so my grandmother had a ticket waiting for me at the airport got to the to the airport, flew back, and I think that next day is when I found out I, I was on probation because the sheriffs showed up to her house and they arrested me. Oh, they showed up to your grandma's house. Yeah, yeah. And back in Virginia. Yes. Oh, yeah. but you're on probation from a court order in Virginia. Yeah, it, it stimulated in Virginia, and I guess part of the the stipulations was that. I had to be under their super, my aunt and uncle's supervision in, in Oklahoma. Oklahoma. So when I flew to Virginia, that was breaking the probation yeah. and they were glad to apprehend me. Did you, uh, I mean, did your grandma try to fight it at all at least and say, Hey, look, his positions there aren't good. You put him in my custody and like, let's call it a day or. Yeah, they, they, now they wouldn't give it to my grandmother because, because they said that she was too old, but okay. I had another aunt that was actually staying with my grandmother to take care of her. And they agreed to uh, give custody to my other aunt. So okay. I was able to stay in Virginia at that point. Okay. Was that a much better situation then? Yes. I was just, I mentally, uh, I was already far gone. Like I, I was really, uh, really, I didn't care at that point. Like I was really angry at the world. So the damage had been done, but it was definitely a better situation. That's good. So, um, Another thing that I saw was that you somehow, well, when I, were, you, were you a teenager when you met your wife? Yes. Yes. Oh, okay. Actually, when I got, when I came back, that was like the, 
the shining moment in my life. I swear to you, man. Yeah. Like I'm telling you, the universe works in crazy, crazy ways. So <laughs> when I finally got back to Virginia and all the court stuff got figured out, they sent me to uh, the school in the district and they wouldn't accept me. They were like, Hey, you know, they, you know, leveraged that my house had been raided and all, you know, just my mother's past. And they said, we don't want this guy at our school. So they made me go to another school outside of the district, which is where I met my wife. And uh, I ended up dropping out of school, but we stayed together, right? Like we, we stayed in touch and ended up dating and we've actually been together for 24 years, married for 19. Okay. Got it. Yeah. And you said that she's sort of the one that told you to get your shit together. Right. And oh. that's one of the reasons why you joined the, the army. Yeah, dude. She was like, Hey man, if you want to be with me, cause I was still, so I, like I said, I was really set in my ways. I, I, the way I grew up, I thought that the only thing I could be was what I, I saw around me, which was drug dealers, violence, and so even though I wasn't selling crack, I was still selling marijuana and I was still getting in trouble and fights. And, you know, she she was like, hey, man, like if you want to be with me, clean up your shit or, you know, you can kiss this relationship goodbye. And I was not willing to let that happen, dude. I cut off all those friends, everything, dude. Like and then eventually it, it boiled into me joining the the army because I had no other skill sets or, you know, I dropped out in after the ninth grade, like I, I didn't have anything to offer a, a traditional business. So I was like, army, here I come, you know, they'll take anybody. Where, where did you get the, the specific idea to join the army though? Uh, well, my grandfather was a Marine. Okay. And he fought in World War II and the Korean War. And I looked up to him until he died. Like he was my hero. I actually tried to join the Marines at first, but because I dropped out of high school and I didn't have any college and I had tattoos on my forearm at that time, they weren't accepting anybody in the Marines. And what happened was, I guess that recruiter gave my name to an army recruiter who reached out to me and they were like, Hey, they won't do it, but we will. Yeah, I have a similar story. I, uh, I was originally going to join the air force. I was in high school, my senior year, I was in weight training class. I, re I specifically remember it. I'm on the fly, the chest fly machine. And I'm just like, Jesus Christ, you know, the, the real world's coming at me. I have no money for college. I, I don't want to live with my parents. Like what are my options? And it just dawned on me. I go, you know, you have two cousins in the air force and the air force has the GI bill. Like that could pay for college. Why don't you, reach out to a air force recruiter. So I did. Uh, but at that, I went to MEPS for the air force and I told them at MEPS that I had asthma. I was diagnosed with asthma when I was in junior high because they had that whole thing about, you know, if you lie to us, it's a, a $10,000 fine and yes. 10 years in prison. And I was like, they're the government. They, they have to know everything. And so oh, I if I lie, is. they'll figure this out. Guys, just to let you know, the government is incompetent. They, they do don't not know. <laughs> I could have just like kept that to myself. They would have had no idea. But uh, so they sent me home from MEPS that day. Uh, my my recruiter tried to get me a waiver, but the Air Force is very strict because you know, let's face it, it's not a real military job. You know, it's like they're kind of pansies. So they they'll, right. they, they take all the cushy people, yeah. uh, and so they're very selective because a lot of people want to join the Air Force. Uh, but my friends were all joining the Navy. And the Navy recruiter's like, shit, we put known crack addicts in the Navy. Like, <laughs> let me talk to him. And ended up going in the Navy instead. Uh, and I'm much happier, too. I'm, I'm glad I went in the Navy instead. Of yeah. The That's awesome, dude. That is, that's <laughs> awesome. So you so so the 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 core was a little a little too strict on on, um, you know, uh, uh, high school graduation status and, and tattoos. So you you opted for the army instead. Yes. Yes. And it, it was, it was a great decision. I like, kind of like you, I'm, I'm very happy. I, I chose that path at first. I wasn't, I didn't know what the hell I just got myself into, but um, you know, looking back, I'm, I'm ecstatic that that's the, the route I went to and everything kind of played the way it did for sure. Yeah. And so in, in the army, you, uh, you ended up becoming a sniper. Yes. Yeah. Okay. How, yep. that, that's not, something easy to attain 
Oh, hell no, it's not. Uh, that was that was incredibly hard. And I, I didn't go to the Fort Benning Sniper School. I, I actually was afforded the opportunity to go to a special operations sniper school in Fullendorf, Germany. And it was extremely hard. Uh, I will not lie to you. It was a gentleman's course. So, I, you know, meaning every night you could do whatever you wanted, right? It, it was located on a NATO base. And on the weekends, there was no, unless there was training, you were free to do whatever you wanted to do. So honestly, your, your failing and your passing was solely on you. Like you could truly, truly bomb it or excel. And I'll never forget, like I would come home because I was married and I had my wife. I would, you know, make sure I came home on the weekends and people would be like, Hey dude, you failed, right? Right. You failed. You had to have failed. That's why you're here. They didn't understand that it was a gentleman's course and they allowed you to do that. But it showed me how many people really thought that I was going to fail. Right. And, mm -hmm. you know, I, I'm not going to lie. There was many times I thought I was going to fail, too, because like in the very beginning, there was a, a hellacious ruck march that, you know, knocked out quite a few people. They didn't make it through the ruck march. Uh, there was a language test that that, you know, nixed a few people. It, it was just really tough just right out the gate and then throughout the process they didn't really tell you where you were as far as passing failing any of that right and so you, you really they left it to wonder you know they they and, and they they made sure that <laughs> they made sure that if you really wanted it you were going to put the, the effort right they, they put it all on you and you know, it was one of the best experiences in my life because it, it really showed me who I was uh, at, at a greater level. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. um, there were way more experienced people than me that failed, right? All the way up until the very last exercise. Like, and it, it was good to come back at the end and say, this guy passed, right? Mm -hmm. um, despite everybody else's disbelief in me. Uh, I chose to put my head down and continue to study. And that's exactly what I did. I didn't go out often, like a couple of times they, I would go out with the instructors because the instructors would go out and get shit faced with you. Like it, it was like, there was a time where a few of us got in trouble with the Polish side and got in a fight with some Turkish people and ended up having to run. And long story short, the, the Polish side came to the NATO base and pulled everybody out of class the next day. And it, it, it was what it was. We got out of it, but um, so it, things like that could happen very easily. Right. And you mm -hmm. can really screw that, that opportunity up, uh, just as fast as you got it. So, uh, I really kept my head down. I, I studied a lot and, and, and just knew that if I didn't, I wasn't going to make it. I put that kind of mentality in myself. Like I have to work harder than everybody else here. And that's exactly what I did. Got it. Got it. Now, uh, you mentioned a, a little bit there um, and also in one of your other interviews that the military is sort of, you know, one of the, the best decisions you ever made. Uh, I personally think that like all kids should at least do it one tour of the military, you know, like what, hit 18, go do at least, you know, four years and uh, see the world a little bit. Uh, live away from your parents, you know, uncle Sam will, will pay your way and, you know, give you a place to sleep and give you some food and stuff like that, but get some life experience. I think like for me, it, it made me grow up so quick, you know, I mean, a Dude. lot of, a lot of, a lot of men today don't have that. They don't no. have that at all. No. And I mean, you know, you, you talk, you hit the nail on the head. It makes you grow up, but it also teaches you some core values to live by uh, that you can apply you know, outside of the military into like everything. And it really sets you apart. Like kind of like what you're saying, like there's so many men out here that are, they, they don't really have those core values and, and they, you know, get into these businesses or these corporations and, you know, they, they can't rise to the top because they, there's, there's nothing, there's no substance on the inside of them. Right. They, they don't have anything that they, any standard that they they live by and the army teaches you a standard even at the the most minuscule minuscule level they, yeah. they teach you a standard to live by and i think that is real important real important yeah and a lot of people don't understand too that you can pretty much do anything in the military so i had i dated this gal once and her son 
was uh, a musician. Like he was really into to music and like acting and stuff like that. And, and he was like, I don't, I don't think the military's for me. And I go, dude, you know, the, the Navy has a, a musician's rate. You could go in and be a professional musician in the U.S. Navy. Yeah, dude. They, the, Army has, <laughs> the Army has electricians, carpenters, like yeah. mechanics. Like, and yeah, Navy was, has all that shit too. Yeah, right. So, like you, and like you said, the music. Like, you could literally do almost whatever you want to do on the outside world, and you can do it inside the military. And then you have the real world application, right? And you're gonna have the advantage over everyone in your age group as you apply. It's it's such an advantage, but you know, people are scared of discipline and scared of a, a, a little boot to the ass. And it yeah, is what it is. well, I think a lot of people too just have the misconception that everyone goes to fight war. Right? Like, oh, if I join, right. I'm going to be on the front lines. Like, not always, you know, like it just yeah. depends on what's, what's going on. You, on the other hand, as a sniper, <laughs> got to see some action in Iraq, though. Yeah. Um, yeah. Which is, I mean, it's unfortunate, but that's how you ended up getting medically retired, right? Yeah, I uh, I went off a roof and landed head first, and like my nods, uh, for those who don't know, my night vision went like right into my eyes. Uh, so like the jelly around my eyes are like dented and bent in, and so I see blotches basically as I look around. They can't or they don't want to do surgery on it because of the way it's positioned and because it's the jelly around my, my retina. So my neck got all janked up. Um, it, and then I think just because the, the physicality of the job over time, I ended up having multiple surgeries and they, at the 10 year mark, they were like, Hey dude, you're done, man. Um, you're no good. And I also was facing a little bit of PTSD, uh, at the 10 year mark, I was starting to, to really struggle with some things. Uh, but I, I believe that having a mission is real important to, uh, you know, kind of pushing past all that. And when, when I got out, uh, when they, I was really sour that they booted me because I wanted to do 30 years. I would have done 30 years and stayed in, uh, wholeheartedly. So I was a little sour because I put so much effort into yeah. getting where I was at, at the 10 year mark. Like I, I ended up becoming an instructor in the military and, I was able to teach combat applications to all four branches. I, I, I have taught literally all four branches. Plus, I have taught the FBI, U.S. Marshals, uh, DEA, CIA. Like I've been a, I've been able to operate at a real high level. And then, you know, for them to to say that, nah, you know, you we can't get the money's worth out of you. Goodbye. It was yeah. It was a it was a hard pill to swallow. Yeah, a lot of people don't realize it too. Like, but when you you sign your your life away in the dotted line, you're you're essentially government property, and they yes. can decide what to do with you at will. And <laughs> it's it's not. I mean, it's like you really when you get out. Um, I mean, in your circumstance, you're a little, little upset, uh, which is you know expected. But when you get out, uh, you you really in, enjoy your freedom at that point because you are now really free and you're like this is what freedom really is you know and a lot of people that haven't gone in and experienced that they they don't know they take it for granted every day yeah the, yeah. the ability to wear different color socks at the same time is truly a superpower man it really yeah. is. <laughs> to grow your beard right you, know? you see this epic beard right yeah, yeah. can't have yeah. that shit in the army oh hell no so uh so when you got out uh you, you said like, it's really important to have a purpose. You were lacking a little bit of a purpose there. Right. So oh, you got into alcohol and weed abuse. Oh, dude, I so was drinking. fell back into old programming then. Yeah, I did. Uh, I went right back to kind of the same thing that my mom got wrapped up in. And, and, you know, with it, like I said, uh, having a mission is very, very essential. And I think for men, period is very important for us right uh, oh, yeah, it doesn't yeah. the mission doesn't have to necessarily be in the military right but you have to have i call it a north star right where are you going and if you don't know where where you're going um you you start kind of doing circles right and that's exactly what i was doing i was drinking a fifth of whiskey a night i i think i was smoking about an ounce of weed a week i was blowing my money i just wanted to numb my mind and I don't know if you've ever heard the uh, the expression, um, an idle mind is the devil's playground, mm -hmm. but that was very true for me. 
right? And uh, I had never faced that much of my demons as I did once I exited the military. <laughs> and I didn't necessarily have that purpose. It was like game on in my mind, right? And I didn't want to, at first I didn't want to face it, right? Like I didn't want to deal with it. And I was looking for any and everything that would take that, that evil away from me, right? I couldn't yeah. sleep at night. Like that's where it started. It started with nightmares, couldn't go to sleep. And so I was like, I'm gonna drink. Well, I have a super high tolerance and maybe it's the military in me, but you know, <laughs> yeah, it is my man. Just kidding. <laughs> but a little bit wasn't working, right? It, yeah, it built yeah. into to a fifth, and I could do a fifth and operate like machinery, probably, right? Like not like me thinking I could. Like people, people, people don't say, people don't understand just like how bad alcoholism is in the military. Like we would get, we would regularly get our our you know guided missile cruiser underway, and half the crew was still drunk from the night before. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Sound. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, well, you, you think like the shopettes and like uh, AFES or whatever, they, they're open 24 hours a day, at least where I was. And you could buy it like in Germany, you could buy alcohol all night. It didn't matter if it was five o'clock in the morning and you had a, a formation at 505, right? Yeah. Like they sell you a bottle and say, have fun, buddy. Right. Uh, it, it, you know, so, but yeah, I could drink, dude. And so that turned into, uh, a fifth being just my normal, right? That that wasn't even if I was really trying to get turned up, you know what I mean? It, yeah, yeah. Uh, so yeah, it, it was pretty bad. You got pretty heavy into weed too. Um, now, you said you said in one of your interviews that like you, you you don't touch any of that stuff anymore. You you know you're like weed's legal in a lot of places now, but you still won't touch it. Um, do you think like do you not touch weed because you think it like you'll you'll get back into it or it's just not good for you or or what's what's your thing no i'm a firm believer that weed helps a lot of people uh and i think that it helps with ptsd and a a lot of but i think to each you know different strokes for different folks right and for, for me during this process or this journey of mastering my mind and mastering myself i feel phenomenal without it that's really why I don't go back to it. Um, I'm a, I, I can be around it. I can be around people drinking. I have no desire. I just don't even have a desire. So I think if I did, I probably wouldn't be opposed. It's legal where I'm at, you know, in Virginia. So um, it, it's not something that is against the law or something that, you know, quote unquote, I couldn't do. Uh, I don't want to do it. And I, I feel the best that I felt in my life without either of those things in my life. So got it. Yeah, that makes sense. And then uh, you also, after the military, survived two severe motorcycle accidents. You mentioned motorcycle, the the last one at the, the top of the episode here. What? So what happened with those? Because I, I ride I ride bikes, but I've, I haven't been riding them that long. And I'm always when I'm out riding, I'm just constantly like I just assume everyone's out to kill me and no one can see me, and I'm just like ultra cautious. Yeah. But uh, like what's so what happened with you? Cause I mean, obviously it, it's, it's not always like the, the biker's fault. Sometimes it, oh, does, though, it never is. Uh, well, not never, but you yeah. know, I would say in the 80 percentile range, it's someone else. It's a careless driver, not paying attention. Like, so my first wreck, it was in, it was three years after I got out, I got out in 2015. So 2018 is when I got whacked. I was at a red light uh, and my light turned green and I was making a left to get on I-95. I 95 for whatever reason. I did not look right that night. I should have, I usually do, but I didn't, I mm. saw the green light and I just went and I was looking into the turn and some kid about 19, 20 years old, probably playing damn Pokemon go goes through the light just blows so he didn't even touch his brakes when they did the little inspection or whatever they do after the wreck uh there was no brakes that no were tire tires marks. Just, yeah, yeah not, nothing man and so he whacked me at 45 miles an hour sent me to a guardrail uh just gnarled my bike up like uh and it it really hurt um were you wearing a helmet at least Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a helmet law in Virginia, oh, but okay. I was wearing like the half shell. Yeah, uh, yeah. 
actually it was a novelty helmet, which, you know, anybody that rides bikes, I, man, dude, I've been riding for a while, get a full face. Okay. And make sure it's dot approved. Neither of my, my helmets were dot approved when I got whacked. Mm-hmm. Uh, my nugget was, was pretty, um, ping ponged around, uh, to say the least. Like after that, after I got the hospital, I couldn't even like on the ride home to, to my house, we had to stop like four times because to, for me to puke, that's how bad the TBI was. Like, yeah, yeah. I couldn't, the whole world was spinning, dude. Like I, I could not be in a vehicle for like two weeks. It was bad. Um, it took me about a year, year and a half to get the courage to get back on a motorcycle, but I, I had to face it, man. Like I, I had to, I survived it. I knew I survived it for a reason. And honestly, I, I took up riding bikes to, to combat the PTSD and it was working, man. Like I, I loved it when I felt, when I was on a motorcycle, man, I felt so free, like just, it was kind of like playing basketball when I was, when I was younger, it was that yeah. one thing that took me away from all the bullshit. Right. I've, I've heard guys call it road therapy. I've heard other yeah, guys call wind it wind therapy. therapy. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah there's a, there's a book, a really great book. Um, and I, I had the author on the podcast is uh, the book's called the unplugged alpha by a guy named Rich Cooper. And he has a whole chapter on how men should get motorcycles and how it's like perfect for therapy and stuff like that. It is. Uh, but either way, so like, you know, I didn't die on the first one. I build up enough, you know, I, I learned, I, I get my body healed and I, you know, start walking better. And so I'm like, okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna get on this bike again. And this time I surround myself with people. Okay. So I think I'm doing it like the right way. And in 2020, so just shy of two years after my first wreck, uh, we're on I-95. I have about, I think it was five people with me. And I was kind of in the front of the, the pack. And I'm on the far left. And they're doing a construction in that area of I-95. So they're expanding the road. And there's a Jersey barrier to my left. The middle lane, there's a, a, a van. And his lane starts slowing up. Now, I don't remember a lot. A lot of this is other people telling me kind of what happened because I, I I'll be honest, man. Like when I say I, I was gone on this one, I don't remember anything really. Um, but he slows down because the traffic in his lane is slowing down. He didn't want to slow down. So he jerks to come into to the left lane, but he doesn't look right. He's not looking in the blind uh, side. He's not, I don't even think he checked his, his normal mirrors, man. He didn't, he just didn't look. Yeah. I don't know how you miss five Harley Davidsons, right? With, you know, custom Harley Davidsons at that with like, so you, you, know, so you were writing in a group. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I, and that's why I thought I really thought I was doing it the right way this time, you know? And so Duke comes over and he plants me right into the Jersey barrier. Oh, wow. He, he hit me so hard that my bike never fell down. It was like, like in like, engraved into the cement of the jersey barrier like i have pictures and it's just it's gnarled up like this like handlebars everything is just destroyed and it won't even fall down right yeah and i went flying to the construction zone and i had a a few military guys in the pack so they were able to render first aid and you know thank god for that they render first aid the ambulance gets me and on the way to the first, cause I had to go to two different hospitals before I, I got my first surgery. And on the way to the hospital, I flatlined. Oh, wow. Yeah. Uh, you don't remember that part. I don't that, remember the near death experience. You don't have a near death experience no. story. No, dude. Uh, I will tell you what on the second one, I remember more. Okay. Uh, but the first one, I don't. So I don't remember any of it. I wake. I remember waking up in the surgery okay. uh, right before they they were cutting me. And so, yeah, I, I get there and they go into my first surgery. My first surgery, they, they didn't realize when they did the MRIs how how gnarled the inside of my body was like he crushed everything. My femur, my my hip, my pelvis, uh, my neck. Like it was just, I was, he destroyed me, dude. And so after I, they had done the first surgery, they, they said, Hey man, we got to take them right back in and do another surgery because we didn't realize how bad it was. 
I don't know if you have ever had surgery, but they put you in like almost like a, a lineup, right? Right before you go into the actual surgery room and they check your vitals, just, you know, make sure every, everything is going hunky dory. Mm-hmm. So as I'm laying there waiting to, to go in the room, everything starts getting really hot for me, right? Like I'm, I'm like burning up and they come to check my vitals and they're talking to me. I think that I'm talking to them like I'm talking to you right now. I am not. I'm You're like incoherent. Yeah, yeah, I'm like, blah, 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 right? But I think I'm like telling them the business, right? Like, but I'm <laughs> not. I am not. So they think I'm having a stroke initially. And as they start to render aid, I just go, I'm gone. I flatline. Boom. Right. Okay. So, so this is the second flatline you said. Yeah. Okay. Yep, this is my second one. And so they rushed me into a. I don't know, another room is where I woke up. I, I kind of come to in this room and I'm naked and they're holding me in the air and I have an IV in both of my arms and my heart rate is like above the 190 range. And so they're trying to get my my heart rate down. Uh, they they said it was like artery busting high. Like they, they were really worried that I was going to actually, you know, not make it in that in that situation and everything was real fuzzy, man. Like, I don't know how to explain this well, but like, I knew I was in the room. I knew I was in bad shape and I could hear, but I could like crystal clear. I could hear everything that was going on. Right. I could hear them talking. I could hear the, the nurses going back and forth on what to do. The doctors telling the nurses what to do. And I just was like, looked at one. I don't, I think it was the doctor. And I was just like, dude, please, I, I got kids at home. I They need me. Please save me. Please save me. And then, you know, I kind of went out again. And that's that's kind of the 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 only moment I had in the two dying. And I, so I don't know about this whole light at the end of the tunnel thing. Uh-huh. It hasn't happened to me yet. I've been off of a roof. I've been hit by two cars. Yeah. Um, it hasn't happened yet. Just darkness. That's that's the only thing that's yeah. It might have happened. You just don't remember, too. Right. Who right. Knows? Maybe, yeah. Maybe. Who knows? <laughs> uh, yeah. I, I guess the big guy said, I believe in the big guy. I can tell you that because I shouldn't be here. Right. Like at all. And yeah, um, yeah I ended up in ICU. Uh, I was there for seven days. I was in the hospital altogether for two weeks, but in ICU for seven days. And if you know anything about ICU, that's a long time to be in ICU room. They do not like keeping you there yeah. uh, more than a day or two if possible. So. I, I was I was really mangled up, and, but it was in that moment that like I, I I did a lot of soul searching, right? Like I had I faced me, and it was though this was a really bad situation physically, spiritually, and mentally. This was the best thing that could have ever happened to me because I looked really deep inside of me, like because I had no cell phone. I had they because of COVID, they no one could come see me. So this, so this that was in 2020 then. Yeah, it was in 2020. Okay. Yeah, no one. Man, what a crappy year, right? Yeah, dude. <laughs> it, it sucked ass. Yeah. Yeah. yeah dude. So was that sort of the last straw that got you on this like path of personal growth then? Yeah, I knew that uh, God had a bigger plan for me than I, I, I've been. I'm a very, I'm introverted by nature. Right. And so people have been trying to get me to tell my story for years, even before the two accidents. And I just wouldn't do it. I didn't want people in my business and my life, but this really taught me that the universe had a plan for me. And, and obviously it wasn't going to allow me to go out the easy way. So yeah, uh, I might as well face the music and, and take the journey. So did you, uh, so, I mean, uh, obviously we've spent about 40 minutes or so talking about just all the epic shit that you've been through in your life. Um, and then you had, you had to do some soul searching there in the hospital. Uh, when you sort of got out of the hospital and stuff like that, what, wh- how, like, how did you get started into doing this stuff? Right. Cause you, you do coaching now and you speaking engagements and stuff like that. Uh, like, how did you start getting into that? Did you, did you start reading any books, any seminars? Did you get a coach yourself? Like, yes, how did you get uh, going? So I, I am a firm believer in getting a coach. Uh, that That is number one, Uno. No matter how much you think you have it together, you need someone, and not just anyone, you need someone who is where you're trying to get to, 
right? Mm-hmm. And you know, you look at it in, in fitness, right? When I when I used to train, I used to do jujitsu and I used to train golden glove boxers. We had strength coaches, you know, speed coaches, you name it. We had a, a, a coach for almost every niche that needed to be filled uh, in that fighter's profile. Yet we won't do that in our personal growth. And it doesn't make any sense. So I, I am a firm believer. If you have a business, you need to get a business coach. Uh, you need to get a personal growth coach. All of this is very, very important. And I've done all of that. And, you know, there, there's been times where I've questioned it because I didn't necessarily have the money. But when I did it, that's what motivated me to make the money and to get out there and really get on the grind and be about what I said I wanted to be about. So, you know, uncomfortable action consistently is going to get results. And that's exactly what I I started doing. I started, you know, really diving in. It's really started with real estate because I also do with my wife some real estate and uh, they really honed in on mindset, you know, and that's what really opened the door. And then uh, I got involved with a group called Apex Entourage, which is awesome. It's ran by Ryan Stuman. If you don't know who that is, go look him up. He is freaking amazing. And what he's created is uh, just out of this world, man. And it continues to grow. And it's around winners, man, winners in life and not just one area, right? Just, you know, you got everything from construction guys to, you know, people that have their own um, little beauty salon somewhere, right? You got it all. And they're all about winning and helping each other grow and become better. And, you know, putting myself in these spaces really helped me to grow and become the man that you see right now. Like, and, and quickly, quicker than I thought too, way quicker than I thought. Um, but you have to be willing to do the work as well. So you can spend all the money, you can get the coaches, you can read all the books, but if you don't, you know, Ryan Stuman says, uh, knowledge is not power. Applied knowledge is power. And I I really, I really resonate with that because, you know, in the military, we did the same thing. You know, we had coaches for everything. We, they would teach you a whole bunch of stuff, but if you didn't apply what was being taught, you weren't going to be successful in combat as a sniper in combat, in in combat, in any, you know, fighting in in general, like it wasn't going to happen. You have to begin to apply what you're learning and having a coach to, to, you know, really kind of put the fire under your ass is it's good for you, man. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. So you also said that you were able to to save your marriage too. Um, yeah. Was your marriage like on the rocks there, like for there for a little bit then? Yeah, dude. Uh, when I was drinking, I was not present. Right. And I was an ass. I'll be honest. Uh, like I'm a great person without alcohol, with alcohol, I can become, a very evil man. Right. And, and it, it just wasn't good. You know, I wasn't treating her the way that she deserved. I wasn't present with my kids and I have four kids and, you know, three of them have special needs. I didn't even touch on that. I, I you know, I have a daughter who had a stroke when she was uh, five years old while I was in Germany. I have two younger ones who have autism and they needed their dad, but I was so caught up in my pain and my bullshit, right. That, that, I wasn't present and I was not just losing my wife. I was losing them too. Right. And when I pulled my, my head out of my ass and I looked at, at the big picture and I, I kind of looked at kind of like you look at a glass of water, right? I looked at myself objectively and I was able to see like, man, this has got to go. You're losing your, this is affecting this and that. And I call it mental gardening, but I became a gardener of my mind. And as soon as I did that, I restored my relationships and they are like, when I say better than they've ever been, I'm actually happy. You know what I mean? My wife is happy. She wants to be around me. I want to be around her. It's not this and we're 19 years, man. So yeah, we've had our moment and it was due to, to me not having my purpose and finding my North star. But once I did and and I I got my shit together, dude, uh, it's, it's been amazing. It really has. That's great. Now you've mentioned uh, North Star and your purpose a couple of times now, um, and I found that so many men have had problems trying to f- even find a purpose. How can men find their purpose? Try a whole bunch of stuff. 
right? Like I've, yeah, dude, I like, okay. To get to where I'm at right now, I've tried real estate. I've tried selling um, uh, life insurance, uh, supplements. I've, I've, I mean, I just explored da, 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 da. But this always rang true to me, right? Is, is being a speaker, writing, uh, and impacting other people's lives, just like I did in the military. It kind of just went full circle for me. Uh, and so I tried a whole bunch of things. And then when you find something you like, dig, like dive into that thing, find the intricacies of it. And if you continue to fall in love with it, run with that thing, like, like uh, grab it by the hair and go. Don't second guess yourself. Just go. Right. Take that action, because once you found that thing that you don't you love learning about, you love exploring, like it doesn't matter what, you know, you, you're you willing to lose sleep to learn about it. You know, man, that's probably your, your thing. Right. So grab hold of it and go for it. But you got to try different things to figure out what is for you and what's not for you. Don't be scared to try. I think that growing up, I felt like that was I was taught that that was bad. Stick with one thing and and just do it. But if you're miserable doing that one thing, what's the what's the point? Right? You gotta. You, we have one life. One. We don't. We there's. It's not a video game. There's no reset and replay. Right. So we we have to be happy in what we are doing. And and there's most likely if you try a few things and you start to say, oh, you know, I've always wanted to do that, and you do it, then you're gonna find that one thing. You'll find that north star, and then boom, you're off to the races. Got it. Now you you mentioned like don't don't be afraid. Uh, you in one of your interviews you said that hesitation is the magnifier of fear. It, it reminds me of something one of my mentors, uh, Dr. Robert Glover, said. He says uh, thinking causes anxiety, but action cures it. Can you elaborate on how hesitation is a magnifier of fear? Yeah, man. Like it, it, it's like turning that that mountain or that molehill into a mountain. Right. And uh, David Goggins talks about it really uh, clearly as well. But it's it's the anxiety. Right. Fear only lasts a second. Right. Like if you're about to jump out of a plane or, or repel out of a helicopter. Right. That fear only lasts a second. So once you are on the other side of it, you're in it. Right. And you're, you're gone. Right. That, that fear, like like you just said, is cured by you taking that action. Right. But that time leading up to that moment isn't fear, is anxiety. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so what, just like anything, uh, what I like to do is I like to isolate my fear. Uh, people think I'm crazy for getting back on a motorcycle three times. Like after the second accident, I got I learned how to walk barely enough to get on a motorcycle at five months. Five months after having died twice. Right. And I have fake stuff all through my body. My hand, this hand barely works. I don't know if you can see the scars all the way up. That's after surgery. Only my pinky really works well. Okay. But I'm, I'm telling you, I isolate it and I dissect the fear. Why, why is this so scary? Why, what, what about it? And then I learn, right. I learn and I, I, I fully engage into that, whatever that fear is. So that way, when it's time, right? I'm fully prepared. I'm no longer necessarily scared. It might last a second because we all have those moments where it's like, whew, here we go, right? I'm about to do it. But I have, I've done the, the, the back work, right? So now it's easy just to go over the edge, right? And just do it. You know, uh, it's like a Nike commercial, man. You just got to do it. You do uh, study that fear, isolate it. Don't allow it to have power you know, and, and that's how you take the power away from it. You just tear it completely apart and say, eh, no, you know, I can learn this. I can do this. If I do this, that negates that. And then you're prepared. And once you're prepared, what can stop you? Yeah. Excellent point, man. Chad, this has been a, a really great conversation, brother. That's all the questions I have for you. Awesome. Uh, where can people find you online? Yeah. So Chad single on Facebook. Uh, MrTenacity.com is my website. And if you want to send me an email, it is MrTenacity40 at gmail.com. Uh, I'm a normal dude, so don't hesitate to, you know, send me a message and uh, connect with me. I would love to, to chat it up and uh, help as many people as possible. Great, brother. Well, I'm going to give you your night back. Thanks yes, for joining me. Yeah, man, I appreciate you having me. Yeah, anytime.
Chad, thanks a lot for visiting me. It was uh, really cool that you reached out to me uh, over Match FM. I'm glad we connected. Glad we got this together. I hope a lot of guys uh, got something out of your story and uh, you know realized that some of the stuff that they're going through <laughs> pales in comparison to what some of the stuff uh, you've been through is like, and uh, maybe that can help them change their perspective on what's going on. Um, that's all I have this week, guys. Be sure to help me out with the Patreon. Link is in the description or go to patreon.com slash comeonmanpod. There's all sorts of goodies for you there and you can sp- support the show all at the same time. So it's win-win. You know what I mean? Other than that, that's all I have for this week, guys. We'll catch you next week on Monday. This has been the Come On Man podcast. New full episodes served hot every Monday morning on your favorite podcast platform of choice. So subscribe now. Follow Paul on social media. The links are in the description. Now, go out and get it.